Loving people and guys, we we are gonna do what we always do. We're gonna take an entire artist's discography. We're gonna rank it worst to best. Forget the rest, but this one, oh, this one. Get ready for a tale of gypsy space witches and all sorts of other things. That's right, guys. We're talking about Fleetwood Mac, the orgy the that Mac. learned how to play instruments. That is what we're talking about today. It is an adventure. It is, and it is just an overwhelming discography more than any other artist that we've done so far to this point it is just i mean we could spend 800 hours talking about all these albums <laughs> we are not going to unless you're a premium chartographers uh subscriber uh the, the vip <laughs> chart room as you know guys it's a thousand dollars a month it is worth it uh, aside from that, though, we're going to go ahead and assess their discography, and there's so many ins and outs of how this British folk band turned into the basically the arbiters of 70s California pop. How are we going to go through it? I'll tell you how we're going to go through it, because there's three amazing people here. The first one is me, Evan Soddy. You might know me as an editor of Pop Matters, definitely as the host of this podcast, which I take because you're listening to this podcast right now. How about that? The other thing we also have, of course, you know him, you love him, the co-creator of this podcast, Taryn O'Reilly! Hello! How are you doing, Taryn? Welcome, everybody. Yeah. I'm great. This is I'm to do this. You've been pushing for this one for some well, time. You know, <laughs> there's a reason for that. And I, I mean, and and we'll we'll get there. But it's there's such a huge breadth of quality here, from the best music ever to the worst. <laughs> and so we're going to talk about all of that, and it's going to be really exciting. Okay. Uh, and but one of the things here, and I'm so excited for our third guest here. Uh, this is the second time that we've. Uh, Cold uh, and O'Reilly into our podcast as well with their deep resource of musical knowledge. You might know him as the uh, founder of a theater company known as Left of Left Center. Guys, Terrence Ned, Ned O'Reilly is here live in the studio. Ned, how are you doing? What? <laughs> I'm doing great. That, that's I'm your introduction great. of the world. You know, what? I've been listening to Fleetwood Mac for a long, long time. Okay, now before we do anything, we need to put a few qualifiers on here. <laughs> Ned is wearing a Fleetwood Mac t-shirt into the studio. I'm not making this up. Ned, despite the fact that this is a podcast in purely an audio form, he did bring several vinyls of Fleetwood mm -hmm. Mac into here. Mm -hmm. It yep. is a fantastic time. So we are, though there's so much history, there is so much sass that is going to be happening. But guys, <laughs> listen... Uh, t just, I mean, when was your first introduction to Fleetwood Mac, old-timer with the... Uh, it would have been 1975 things. when the album, sometimes called the White Album, but most commonly called Self-Titled, was released. I bought it on vinyl soon after it was released. Uh -huh. I was 16 at the time, so, you know, primo audience for that kind of thing. And, you know, the, there was a single already on the radio, Over My Head, which I liked. And they were about to release a second single, and I liked every track on the album, all that. We can talk more about and then that. You later, go, but, and then you started going into the yeah. back ends, right? Yeah, and so I was set up for them right when they had. Well, and the one in thing, that form. The one thing to note is that a lot of people will probably notice the length of this podcast before you clicked on it or downloaded it. Uh, it's not 800 hours, and the only reason is because 
there are Fleetwood Mac. It's one band. It's one name. But there's been so many different changes of parts in between. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one the one constant being the uh, drug-addled Muppet that is Mick Fleetwood uh, throughout the entire time. But more importantly, and John McVie. And John mm-hmm. McVie. He was not on the first album. Oh, oh. forgive me. He oh. played. He played guest bass on a song or right. two, but he was oh, still working on the another project. This is how the format's going to be for the rest of the episode. I'm telling you right now. I'm but just legitimately. Saying. Uh, the first iteration was probably best known, and there's even a compilation out of the name of Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac, because Peter Green is actually a pretty decent songwriter. He uh, was actually yeah. wrote one of uh, Santana's biggest hits ever in the form of uh, Black Magic Woman. Right. It's right. a song he did that Santana later covered and took to the top of the charts all over mm-hmm. the place. Uh, but that was his iration of the band. They were very much kind of a bluesy, like, yeah. like, yeah, psych, they did but like. Four albums with Peter Green, I want to say? Yeah, uh, a solid amount. And he had a huge hit in Britain with Oh Well, which was known in America but wasn't a hit single. But it was a hit single, a number two hit. Right. In, in the UK. But then after he left, then all of a sudden we had uh, an introduction of other songwriters into the room, most notably in the form of uh, Bob Welch. And, and also Christy, Christy McVie. McVie. Uh, Christy McVie, who is probably, aside from Mick, one of the longest-running members of the <laughs> Mac, as we're going to call it, the Big Mac. Uh, and we're then, not going to uh, call it that. And then later on, once, <laughs> we hit the, once we hit the early 70s, then all of a sudden came the introduction, of course, of Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks, a romantically linked singer-songwriter-ish kind of duo uh, that wound up becoming the driving force for the band for yeah. almost all the years after. So listen, guys, we're not going to talk about how Albatross ranks in the Fleetwood Mac discography. Nope. It's just not going to happen. We don't have the time. Uh, of course, I have... Or the, the energy. Uh, I have the cufflinks because I'm showing up at the Billboard Shitty Music Awards later. Uh, I believe it's hosted <laughs> by Salento uh, with the special <laughs> honors, a lifetime tribute award to uh, Soldier Boy Tellum. Anywho, uh, the guys, the big thing here is that we have a lot of albums that we're going to rank it, but the question is, especially when we're thinking about the pre... I mean, first off, we're not doing Peter Green. Sorry, Peter. Uh, you can, you know... It, it's it, just such a different animal because it really is... Yeah. It's It's blues. It's yeah, rhythm yeah. and blues, and it's it's like the same chord structures over and over again. And I did listen to uh, a vast majority of the Peter Green era. And it's um, also kind of psychotic. And it's <laughs> and it, yes, he, why psychotic? He left the band because he had an, his own drug problem to deal with, uh-huh. um, and and uh, mental issues. I forget. Yeah, what they had exactly, a they but... had a series of gu- of guitarist songwriters during the late sixties, early seventies. Who left the band due to mental health issues? Yeah, yeah. so Spencer, So that being said, uh, now the real question we get to is, in the, especially if we're considering "quote unquote" more modern era Fleetwood Mac, mm-hmm. are we or are we not considering the Bob Welch era? Uh, I, I think not. Okay, I, no, I don't what? know it as well, and and, okay. and and I also still consider that a different animal, even though Kristen McVie was writing and singing songs during that time. It's not the same. It's, it's not the very, same. yeah. Bob Welch is, uh, even as a vocalist, is very, I almost want to say demure. Yeah. He's not a strong he, he's, he's, he's very much a and, pop rock formalist. He's yeah. just very much, uh, you know. And then there's someone who I would, Christy McVie, I would define as a pop rock traditionalist. Where she, her, she, Christy McVie doesn't have exciting, daring musical productions. They're very much, you know, kind of placid, especially early 70s, early diva singer-songwriters type uh, numbers that came well, out. Well, she's very romantic. Yes. I, that's actually a very nice point, I too. mean, you could, you could call her a pop singer, but I think she has a little more to yeah. offer than that. And it's weird but because lyrically, she's very at romantic. times, her lyrics are actually just biting and yeah. witty and incisive, and at times, it is the most generic pablum yeah. well, you've ever heard in your life. And we'll totally get there, but I think that especially when she after she found her new bow 
Eddie Kintella and right, started right. co-writing with him, yeah. she completely lost the plot. He, <laughs> he brought yeah. out the sappy side in her, which is not what she needed. Because yeah. yeah. she already had a, a good amount of sap to go around. Uh, to the extent that neither of the other two had to do that at all, and there was still like, more than enough on each album, and he just made it even worse. And yeah. and the the electric piano synth pads of the '80s and early '90s really just it it just makes it so utterly saccharine. All right. Well, but, you know what? That's good enough for me. So listen, sorry, all you penguin lovers out there. We are not going to be doing the Bob Welch era. That's five albums, Future Games, Bear Trees, Penguin, Mystery to Me, and Heroes Are Hard to Find. Heroes Are Hard to Find. Scariest motherfucking album cover of all time. <laughs> um, so in that case, that leaves us with eight albums that we are going to be ranking. Uh, we are starting with, of course, uh, the self-titled, The Reintroduction of the World, debut from 1975. Uh, I, I think it's a lesser-known album, uh, Rumors, from 1977. Uh, the experimental follow-up-ish that was... Uh, 1979's Tusk, uh, the, hey, it's an album, Mirage in 1982, uh, the very last Lindsey Buckingham effort for a while, 1987's Tango in the Night, uh, the uh, comic of relief that is 1990's Behind the Mask and 1995's Time, and the, hey, they're reunited, but Christie's mad at everyone, Say You Will from 2003. Guys, we got eight, I mean, here's the thing, there is so much That's a lot in here, yeah. that is a solid amount of we albums. We talk about that. But here's the first thing that we're going to talk about, and talking about this group that spans so many genres. Genres and styles and dramas. Guys, what is the worst Fleetwood Mac album? Out of those eight? Yeah. Dad, you're yeah? the guest. Okay. You're the guest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's. <laughs> I actually believe it's behind the mask. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I actually am going to second that. Oh my um, god! For those who aren't familiar with the format, if two people have a one, that's, you know, we get the <laughs> but we're also not assholes. We can we would be open to arguments and other things there. Because, and this is interesting, and I have no qualms with putting behind the mask at the last place, but my question is what, why that over time from so, 1995? Definitely, I would say, uh, in. Upon listening to... <laughs> let's Actually, let's give some context before anything sure. else. Tango in the Night was very much Lindsey Buckingham's last effort. Right. Uh, and, yeah. he, and that was also very much his project as well. Like, yeah. He threw so much into it. Mm -hmm. The production is so much more thinner and like a little bit more colorful, but like almost crispier. Like He's like, I'm going to be producer, guys. I'm going to produce the songs, yeah. too. Yeah, he's like, yeah, okay, calm totally. down, dude, whatever. Uh, then he <laughs> left, and then they basically kind of had to fill his shoes whether they liked it or not. Stevie was still with the band. Right, but Stevie and Christine... And so they they hired um, Billy <laughs> Billy Burnett Billy Burnett and, and Rick, Rick Vito. Vito. They actually hired them uh, right after Tango in the Night was finished because Lindsey Buckingham had declared he was not going to tour for that album, and then he changed his mind, toured anyway, and then quit. So that they had those guys lined up, already learning the music, okay. and plugged them right in the band. Billy Burnett also had already been part of uh, Kristen McVie's band for her solo record, which just. A couple of years and, before. So they'd already worked together. And had also had a, a pretty, not completely successful, but had a solo career. Had a solo career, career with a pop hit. As a, you know, as a sort of country artist. So was a known quantity. Well, right. he's... And so he makes he makes some sense. Yeah, Billy was from a being... rockabilly um, uh, heritage. His father was Dorsey, Dorsey Burnett, who had minor hit records in the early 60s. And his brother was Rocky Burnett, who had a pop hit in the late 70s. They both grew up playing guitar like their dad, and they learned a lot of rock and building, a lot of early rock and roll styles, and leaned towards country some. 
But, but, but yeah, here's, the so other thing, here's the other thing I want to point out that I think is so crucial for our discussion as well, is when we're talking about, we're really talking about when any of these albums, the power dynamic of songwriting that yeah. takes place between McVie and Buckingham and Nix. Yes. And the biggest thing about that is that whatever you think about Christy McVie, you need all three. Because as so was pointed out, there was, I was reading this and one even, piece. I oh, mean, yeah. before you move on from that, even whatever you think about Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks, to make a solid album, you need all three. You need them balancing each other right. and, and contributing very yeah. different Because styles. it was pointed out in Say You Will, this amazing piece of criticism I read about it, talking about how it's basically the Lindsey Buckingham, Stevie Nicks album. Like, it's basically 18 songs, they have nine apiece. Like, that kind of, yeah. like, yeah. holy shit. And they talk about how, while it's interesting, and there's, it's like, how is this A, not two solo albums kind of put together? And they're still Which is with totally style. what it feels like. And then yeah. you realize why Christy McVie was so important there. She never was the showiest songwriter, but when she brought in her material as well, it's like guys I have some really solid stuff it forced the other band members to kind of pick like the best of their material yeah. instead of all of their material together and losing that balance is key and and she also brought heart yeah which I mean Stevie Nicks sometimes Stevie does Stevie Nicks sometimes Lindsay brings, rarely does Lindsay's music is usually pretty dark especially when we're getting later yeah, into their yeah. career yeah so oh well, there's a bitterness yeah. Yeah, right so yeah. when we're talking about Behind the Mask this is really the first time when we didn't have one of those key players right and so what I hear with Behind the Mask is not one not two not three but four songwriters two of which are clearly inferior to the other two, but the <laughs> two that are usually oh strong God. are not bringing their egg game to yeah. that album. I really think that on the follow-up time, even though it didn't succeed commercially, oh. I think that that Christine and Stevie wrote better for it. And that's why, Honestly, part of the reason I give it an edge. I'm, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I, I'm going to surprise everyone and by saying that I think the strongest songs are time... On time are Billy Burnett. Uh, that's Billy that's Burnett's okay. songs that, because, uh, and I and so, I'm just let's talk about time for a little bit first, right. just because it's so it's it's utterly They're different. It's utterly different from <laughs> even from Behind the Mask because yes, Stevie Nicks left the band, right. yeah, right. and and so they hired this woman named Becca Bramlett. Who well, also had a heritage. Who oh, also had a heritage. <laughs> had worked yeah. with with uh, Fleetwood before in his mm -hmm. side project, but right. but she she is doing her best Stevie Nicks impression on this album. She's she's singing in the Stevie Nicks style, but her timbre is so utterly different because she's a soprano yeah. that it just it it doesn't fit the sound that they're going but for. But even more than that, it's like they were firing, hiring someone to be like, we need to replace Stevie. That's all honestly kind of what it felt like because yeah. they knew they had this female voice gap. And it's something that, uh, controversy that later came on, we'll talk more about it in the Happy Hour Minnesota after this, uh, after Post the Dance, when the group was like, why don't we bring in Cheryl Crow since Christie's in leaving? And there was a whole bunch of back and forth with the band about oh, trying to bring in Cheryl Oh, there is a whole right. thing. Because well, yeah, you oh. know that she's done backing vocals for them a bunch of times. In fact, she appears on Say You Will doing backing vocals on, I think, two songs. Wow. And so um, that's why I my vote for the the time is the worst. Not necessarily because I feel like behind the mask, even though it's placid and generic, time is just. It feels like almost a deliberate pop album. It suffers from the production of the era, and as Ned also pointed out too, these strange times, the narrated woes of the world <laughs> song is the worst fucking thing they have yeah. done. Okay, back. but see the thing is, 
I actually think that <laughs> talking to my heart, not as a Fleetwood Mac song, just a song in general. Yeah. That, it's a great we song. Know, and there's a- and I, I also think that while I don't like Becca's lead vocals, she harmonizes with Billy very well. So I think that it was a good choice for them to, after they were fired from the band, go on and do a side project, which I haven't listened to, but I think I'm going to. Because well, that's what they did. That's... But then they immediately followed that up with Hollywood, some other kind of oh, town. Oh, yeah, obviously. terrible. Yeah. No, but see, the thing is, the thing is, the thing is, And yet for somehow me, better than what Christine offered on the album before. Behind the Mask, <laughs> for me, Behind the Mask has nothing. Nothing that I want to listen to. I've listened to the entire album four times in no. the past couple of weeks, and it has... I, I Still can't, hasn't done it. I can't sing any of these songs for you. They don't uh, differentiate from each other at all. I mean, there's a little Save bit... Me. There's Save a couple me. songs on there that maybe me the ultimate are... is Rick Vito's offering Stand on the Rock, meaning what? Yeah. <laughs> and that's how the song well, and feels, listen, I'm not gonna... and it's how the effort of the whole album feels. I, this is one where I do think time is the worst, but also, if we're talking about time and behind the mask in tandem with each other, I, this is not something I care about. They, so guys, they can be number eight and let's seven, Let's lock right? it in. Let's put <laughs> behind the mask from 1990 at number eight. But right. I, I also then immediately have to say, how can any album that's not time be in the spot right after I mean, that? I think we're in agreement. Yeah, time is time. Good. Great, yeah, guys. Sure. Blaze of Through sure. Time has spent its time, uh, and it's going to spend more time at number and then seven. you know and then it's you know a big jump to the all right now now I would, I would agree with that now if i and now i'm not i'm not saying that i know taryn my co-host and co-creator of this podcast very well but if i had to predict <laughs> if I no had, of course not if i had to predict what his pick for number six would be and i'm just kind of getting the energies from the universe right now yeah what would you predict baby i think you would predict Guess you would put Mirage at number six. You are correct. Oh, I'm so psychic. Uh, now, Mirage, it's, you know, here's the thing about Mirage. It is very much a light, very much a light, fluffy bit so of an album. So here's the thing about Mirage for me. All right. Is I love Tusk, but Tusk did not sell because they chose the worst possible singles to represent what that album sounded like. And so no one went to buy it. It still sold... I mean, it was like three by, million. I mean, but by, rumors was twenty-one million. So right by modern standards, I mean, Tusk has stood the test of time right. very right. well. Tusk People who didn't t- discover Fleetwood Mac till after they were done, and, you know, who weren't even born like yourselves until after Behind the Mask was even released. Um, you know, I'm sorry, like you, not like you. I'm pointing. I can't do that on a podcast. But uh, anyway, like the Taren, point is, there are, like ma- Evan. there are many avid listeners who didn't even know Fleetwood Mac until after they were pretty much finished with their heyday, and you can go back and say, oh yeah, Tusk is a great realm album, and you're right, and and I've liked it so, since 1979. But but the, in in context of Mirage, what I'm trying mean. to say is that after Tusk was considered a failure yeah, by oh, the oh, record oh. label and by McFleetwood, who it, McFleetwood and Lindsey Buckingham have both gone on record talking about how much they fought after that album came out. McFleetwood totally blamed Lindsey Buckingham's weird shit for the album not selling, and so did the record label. And so then on Mirage, she was like, fine, fuck you, I'm gonna write 60s doo-wop. Yep. I'm gonna do absolutely <laughs> nothing like interesting absolute pop. on the entire album. I, he has what five, four or five songs on he's there. He's got at least five, yeah. and still, still has and n- none of them do anything for me. So with that being said, and then you're looking at like even the Stevie and Christine songs. 
aren't great. I think Love and Store is pretty is like a, an okay Ooh, opener. Awesome. Um, that's and Gypsy all, is catchy. And Gypsy is catchy, yeah. but that's all it has going for it is that it's catchy. And so for me, Hold Me is the only thing saving well, Mirage. Hold Me is a masterpiece, yeah. but... Hold Me is the only yeah. thing saving Mirage from complete mediocrity. And listen, even like when you have something like Empire State, which is, you know, kitschy more than anything yeah. else, I would say, there's still something about Mirage. I mean, I understand the context, and again, because it's Fleetwood Mac, a band that is... You know, so much of the headlines about the band helps drive what a lot of people feel about the albums, too. Take it for what it is. Mirage is a fluffy old pop album. And the thing is, there's nothing wrong with that, either. And I I, I agree. I think that uh, Mirage is probably next year, if only because of comparison of what's around it. But I still think it's... I wouldn't call it a great album, but I would call it a good album. But it also... It it would have less weight in that argument. Like, Uh oh, it's okay to do a fluffy... If it hadn't been three years since the last one, and it wasn't five more before they did another one, then it just feels like hey, so it feels like this is commercial. what we had for yeah. you know most of the eighties. That's like, the most right. the, for... the best offering they could offer. Yeah. And, was, and also, if you knew what Stevie Nicks was doing at the time, it was clear. Yeah, she doesn't want the band anymore. She's got this really huge right. solo career. I mean, yeah, it's putting all of her best efforts there. You said Belladonna was nineteen eighty one. Yeah, Belladonna yeah. was right so before. So she, it. so right she, before she this, was killing the right before, damn. right yeah. before this, like cutesy pop album came out. Stevie Nicks put out "Edge of Seventeen, one of yeah. the best rock songs of all time. Mm-hmm. Wow, and, I'll call yeah. it one of the best songs of the best rock songs of the eighties. I'll give you that. Okay. <laughs> Ned's qualifier. No, no, that's your opinion. Time. That's mine. Go ahead. No, put out Edge of Seven. But right. so then, especially when if if you're putting this in context of what else she was doing at the time, you look at her Gypsy and her That's All Right and her Straight, straight Back, back Ooh, and you're yeah. just like yeah, those, those, those are dull songs. This is now, like but... oh oh this is what you didn't want to put on your solo exactly. record. Yeah, I mean, basically, yeah. yeah. So, all right, so I think we're in agreement then. We yeah, go Mirage is Mirage seen. over here. Mirage but now, seen. now shit gets real, guys, because now we're in that tough place. We are down to the self-title from 1975, Rumors from 77, from Tusk from 79, Tango in the Night from 87, and Say You Will from 2003. Now, I think I have an idea, but Ned. What? What just goddamn it? What would you put <laughs> at number five? Well, I'm torn on this, but by by the time I end this rant, I'll give you a decision. Oh, it's a the rant, reason guys. I'm torn is I think Tango in the Night is is very dated sound wise. Sonically, it's yes. Settled very sonically, and then in the late '80s, yes. there's stuff on here there I don't really need to hear. Terrence said earlier Family we had a Contella factor is very much there. Christine McVie's songs are all co-written with Eddie, and and. Uh, also, uh, Lindsay, I believe at the time, would have rather been doing another solo album, but he was pouring his best energy into this instead. So he wrote some good songs, and Eric, the songwriting better than uh, Mirage, for sure. Um, but, you know, it's I own the record, and I got it out and listened to it the other day for the first time in, like, 20 years, yeah. you know, that tells you something about it. It's not a record you're going to keep coming back to again. Not coming back right. to, but I've heard the hits... Because some of the hits were revised for the dance, and and that was fun, you know. Uh, everywhere was better on the dance, and so it was fun to get back to that song. Big Love was so much better on the dance. Yeah, and Big Love, of course, yeah. was reinvented for the dance, so that was cool. But um, but say you will, while I was really happy to have it in two thousand three and two thousand four when I listened to it a ton, it was great to have them back and writing together. Um, I also then went like 
you know, 10 years without listening to it at all. I had songs from it on mixes, but the, like three songs. And so to me, neither of those albums really has stood up to a lot of repeat listening. Now I feel like I want to listen to them again. Uh -huh. But it's been a lot of years without even bothering. So for me, it's kind of a toss-up between five and four. But if I were pressed, I would put Tango in the Night number five and say you will just ahead of it. Interesting. Okay. Mostly what, for the Taren, for what, better writing. What would you say? I think, so Say You Will, I, I remember listening to in 2003 yeah. when it came out and being like, there's the two hits and then there's the rest of this album. Um, now, going back to it, I definitely feel differently. I think that Lindsay and Stevie both have some really fun yeah. songs, yeah, but do. it's so bloated. Yeah. It has so... No one, it, yeah. no one needs 18 tracks. No one. Absolutely and no especially one. when you consider that the only reason they included a bonus second disc with two more songs is because the first disc was totally full already. Right. Yeah. They wanted to do a 20-song album. They like, should have just done two discs with 10 on each. It would have felt better and been more manageable. Right. Well. But, but that's how they did it. But so, I mean, Say You Will, really fun song. Yeah. Their kids are singing at the end. Mm -hmm. It's cute. I like it. Even something like Murrow turning over in his grave, there's that little bit of just kind of like snap. That yeah. That little bit of like yeah. energy. And I feel uh, like as much as they want to talk about Tusk was wildly experimental, like it's almost like the Fleetwood Mac's version of the White Album almost. Guys, I'm not sure if you know this, but we've all listened to Tusk. It's not. Like, it's definitely a little bit more loosey-goosey than some of the stuff the that... Time. Even, even For that. a band as big as them to do that in 1979 was very experimental. But see, You're the, right, it doesn't sound like that anymore. Right, exactly. And therefore, but then you listen to Say, Say You will. will. I feel like this is where Lindsay really is just getting a I lot mean, of I mean, well, because Lindsay's yeah. had, like, what, four or five solo albums by yeah. this point so he has but the other thing is that his material for say you will was supposed to be a solo album like six years earlier some of that stuff was recorded in 95 and 97 yeah. by the time they did you remember bleed to love her is on, the, on dance. the dance yeah and it was fully realized yeah. you get basically the same version just re-recorded in the studio oh, but for for say you will five years later yeah. most of his songs were ready that early and so he was ready to do a song, which also explains why this, the album is so long. It was like, well, I have all these songs. Stevie, can you write that many? And that's kind of what happened. Is then she took the challenge and wrote all, that many yeah. songs. But then again, then again, when you have like kind of the nervy, kind of the nervy acoustic energy that's like a, yeah. a Red Rover, or you even have something like uh, oh. Bleed to Love Her and Everybody Finds Out. Like those are, I mean, I think really feel like those are even if they're not perfect ideal songs, they're still in, and they're they cackle with a different type of energy. Yeah, yeah. I and that those actually everybody finds out is a song that I have been playing the I fuck out of out of the past most month, of the time in the past week. Yeah. Um, and also, what's the what was the other one? Oh, smile at you. Yeah, smile at you is a great yeah, is. song, totally yeah. hidden yeah. in the yeah. midst of a bunch of a, crap. But we and, haven't even what, mentioned, for me, the best song on the album and the reason it's a better album than Tango in the Night, which is Miranda. Yeah. Which for me yeah. is one of the three or four best songs that Lindsey Buckingham ever wrote. And see, for my listening habits at that time, I listened a lot to WXRT, mm -hmm. and that's the song they played. They didn't play the two hits. Peacemaker and say you will. They played Miranda. Miranda. They got hit right away, well, and so it was basically a hit for so, me because right. this radio station I listened to played it many times a week. I didn't know that. 
I remember loving Miranda yeah. in in the 2000s. But that was part of why. Discovered yes. Fleetwood Mac. WXRT turned me on to it. And I said, oh, mm. well, this is yeah, and okay. it's the but, best song. So for me though, you also have the problem of for like Red Rover, and then I forget. I want to say it's Say Goodbye. Yes. At the end, he's he's doing such incredibly complicated like, like almost like cut off you, it feels like right you can't no, yeah. you can't follow the beat it's like it's <laughs> it's almost like the vocal line is what it's, keeps those songs together it's like cuz the ridiculous rest of it's, so nervy. it's it's overly syncopated and, and those and those are the ways that he's experimental on that right, right. Yeah. but see but i can't i i can't listen to those songs because there's just no way to Okay. It's it feels it makes me anxious. I, like, I, I, then how do you feel about come? Which terrible. Is like, <laughs> terrible. Is it nine minute? Is it no, seven or nine? No, it's like five and a half. No, it's look five at, and a half. Well, look at it's longer than that. But anyway, but I mean, as long as it, it feels longer than that. But you're saying you're goes not in necessarily yeah. in the same vein of putting Tango at the night. Right. So I'm I, what I'm doing because I do really like a lot of parts on Say You Will, yeah. but I it's it's too long. It's way too long and it's really inconsistent. It's really divisive for me. Mm. I okay. I either really like it or I I really don't like the songs and I, they feel boring. The also, day. I want to point out, I forget which two songs it is. I want to say it's Illume yeah. and uh the Destiny Rules. Yeah. No, Illume and Destiny Rules at, at the end of uh, Stevie recycles a lyric. Oh yeah. The yeah. the um, <laughs> city glittering like a gold snake in the night. <laughs> it's in along, both songs. It's in both songs. Yeah. It's the same goddamn <laughs> lyric. Yeah. It's just like that inventive and man, and you know, no like... one stopped them from doing that. But it's it's like the same couplet appears in both, and I can't forgive that. But how about this thought then? Might we have been okay with an 18-song album if five of the songs were Christine McVie? Yes. Or yeah. six. Yeah. They each had six. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, as then about we would have been okay because we waited so many years for them to come back together. They gave us something big. Yeah. That would have been okay. Yeah. And but she, nine, and she nine also, each for the two writers was too many. And listen, Mick, Mick, I'm sure was happy as hell that their two fledgling superstars were back in the fold yeah, for yeah. the first time. So he's like, yeah, write all the songs. Sure, go ahead. That's not a problem. Right. He was like, I'll produce whatever you guys yeah, need. But because it because they had free reign, they didn't have someone like Christy McVie that there was that competition that like yeah. let's all bring our best songs to the table. It's just like, oh, sure. we get to do whatever we want. Sure, here's a bunch of songs. Well, the other thing is that for for any given album. Recording eighteen or twenty songs is pretty common. You but know, they, but you don't. But you don't. Include, 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 include them all. Right. You don't. You don't <laughs> right. conclude them all, right. especially when you decide that you're gonna write a new song about nine eleven and recycle one of your lyrics. Yeah, like that made me so mad. But then again, but, there's, there's some people that will say that Tango in the Night. There's there's some people that point out there's like songs like Caroline is like really great, and. Mm -hmm. I disagree I like highly with that, especially when you repeat this chorus like uh, fifty times as you kind of roll out into the end of the song. Some like there are, do that. There's some moments. There's some solid moments on Tangle of the Night. Mystified, I actually kind of like a bit. What? Yeah. Oh. Oh, Terry. Oh. oh, he's vomiting. Hey, that's this is mystified is where is the beginning of Christine Downfall. just recording losing it. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> just absolute shit. And so, but I. Have actually, in in my recent years of accepting '80s production into my life, yeah, which um, is tough. that's been a that's been a big. And you don't have I, to do that. But <laughs> I actually think that the original version of Big Love is really fun. It I is. fell in love with the version on the dance first 
Good. But the version of Big Love on Tangle of the Night is really interesting. It's fascinating. No, nothing else sounded like that, even in the 80s. No, it didn't. You know, Lindsay was nope. doing his weird shit, and he that's was. what we come to Fleetwood Mac for at this uh-huh. point, if you're a real big fan. And I also think Tango in the Night, the song, the title track, yeah, yeah. Is, is pretty fun. It, it's Again, it's very dark. It does some really weird things structure-wise, but it yeah. it I really enjoy listening to it. Um then, but you get to the end. Then, um, if we're tango in the night, Christine does record everywhere. The version on Tango of the Night is not very good. It's like a, hmm. it's like an okay song. Yeah. They really improve it by, by when they perform it live and they let the harmonies on yeah. the chorus move yeah, it's around. Mixed better. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's so much better. And I also, but I think that Little Lies is a really fun song because I, I really like how she uses, um, how she sings the beginning of the chorus and then Stevie has a little phrase and then Lindsay has a little phrase. And yeah, it's like a little bit more harmony. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it feels like they all worked on it together. I also then think that, uh, family man and you and I part two are sort of like, return more more returns to form after the disappointment of Lindsay on mirage uh, but welcome to the room sarah i mean it's a nothing song. it's a nothing little song yeah. it's a nothing yeah. song but but i want to say that when i see you again is a very sweet song and i had it on a mix for years so it's one of my favorites from the album it's yeah. it's it's basically stevie acoustic with a little oh, bit of yes. Lindsay echoing here and then and it's really effective for me right. um and much more sincere than a lot of the other stuff in the album but for me, the most listenable track, the one I go to the most, is Seven Wonders. Yeah. Love right. it. Well, then <laughs> totally works for me. Well, I think we're at an interesting impasse then, because my vote would be to have uh, Tango in the Night at number five, but Terrence seems to want to put Say You Will at number five, correct? Yes? Potentially? Yeah. All right, in that case... Wait, so... That well, my, vote was, as, my vote then, was Tango yeah, in the Night so at number five. Yeah, so you guys win. So Tango in the Woo! Night is at number five. That is... Listen, these, these are not hard victories to have here uh but then comes the real question though taryn do we put do we put say you will at number four or... yeah of course we do okay yeah <laughs> you're definitely wrong yeah. okay. there's no way it's it's okay. even close right. to the remaining three well, speaking of speaking i mean we're talking of... about three blocks here yeah exactly we got the we got the 90s albums that are basically just you know yeah. hardly even we're talking Black. about even though we did yeah. we've got the masterpieces from the 70s and then we got the stuff in between, and and that's how it goes. And say you wills, say you wills. I harken back to the stuff yeah. in between, really. All right, well, guys, we are down to three albums. Well, we are down to the self-title from '75, Rumors from '77, and Tusk from '79. And I'm surprised I have some leeway here. Number one is unquestionable in my mind, but, but two and three, I'm not number one. Two and three, I'm not deciding yet. Same. Yeah. I'm. I'm not. So that'll be good. All right, so in that case, guys, just if you had, just right now with anything, this isn't a no, binding No, we vote. can't pick. You you decide. What's number three? And then we'll argue with you. So my, listen, here's the thing. It's tight. My vote is Tusk. And I feel like that's very much kind of a predictable thing to say. But Tusk, let's talk about it for a little bit. Because, yeah. A, this is very much, again... Following the gigantic, they didn't even expect it, success of Rumors, which very much built off of the success of the the self-titled, it was, they didn't know what to do. They're like, after it gets this big, what the fuck do you do? Hence the uh, drug They they weren't even sure they continue as a band. Right, exactly. I mean, like, at the peak of their popularity, they were really questioning, which is why Lindsey Buckingham was like, guys, we need to, 
I'll, I'll take the reins if necessary. People were okay. Well, Go ahead. And part of why he took the reins is that they were all doing coke all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all five of them yeah. were doing cocaine all day yeah. and were still fighting you know, even after Cocaine the success... makes you angry? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, it does. <laughs> Weird, Incredibly. All right. And so, if I remember correctly, I, I read that while they were working on Tusk, um, Stevie and Christine got their own apartments in a separate building next to each other so they could hang out and, like, be a support network for each other yeah. while they were fighting with their exes in the band in the recording studio, <laughs> which is why... It really, Tusk really feels like three solo artists, even more so than the two before. And then, and then I think it, it sort of, then that was, even, even though they, like, Tusk, they wanted to change the formula after because it wasn't a success, they still, from then, from that point on, even, I mean, and then they started making solo releases. They really Mm -hmm. behaved like three solo artists yeah. who knew that they needed each other for their biggest successes. Yeah. And, you wait, know? And, and they so, had a few here, yeah. They had Sarah. They had, uh, oh, what was that other one? Well, Tusk was the initial single. Yeah, that's, yeah, somehow the kids aren't going around using Tusk as the ringtones these days. Are you saying you don't like the song Tusk? It's fine. It's just, was still such a misnomer of a single. That's the Oh, right. Thing. No, it's, yeah. I think we can all agree it was a terrible single, but it's an incredible oh, song. Oh, no, I'm not going to agree with that. Yeah. You thought it was a brilliant single? Yes, because no one expected it. The, the, the DJs didn't know what to do with it. They said, um, we think this is Fleetwood Mac. You know, it was really like It that. says it on the label. That's... But I think it's a brilliant song. I've, I performed it live with karaoke, and it's really fun to sing. Um, but the other Coming thing... Coming up to the stage for another seven minutes, yeah, guys. Right. Ned O'Reilly. It's, it's not that long. It's Again. A, it's actually but, under four. Yeah, I know. But, you know. Yeah, right. No, he's going to stay up no. for seven minutes, guys. We can't prevent it at the I would game. agree that it was not a good <laughs> choice as a single. Right. That's, but that's how it what perf- we mean. Okay, so yeah. how it performed as a single, it did fine. It was like a number nine. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, it still gets played. Yeah, then the, but then we, I mean, we have a mixture of... Kind but of, there are better songs in the right. album. And there are better have, choices for singles. And we have some, you know, it, it is, next does a lot more Gypsy Space, which things on here. Sisters of the Moon, thank you. Well, here's um, what I, I would mean, say about... Uh, why I would agree with you for Tusk as the third album is that it has filler. Mm-hmm. It has... That's true. Several songs yeah. that you could cut and not miss them, whereas the two records before it had zero of those, in my yeah. opinion. So, so, so that's why I <laughs> that's why I put Tusk third. Is that Lindsey Buckingham did too many songs? So the women had the right number each, and Lindsey had nine of the of the twenty songs, yeah. and that's three too many. And some of, I mean, the other weird thing about the Lindsey songs on here is that again he. He recycles some melodic phrases. He does, yeah. absolutely. And, 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 and then, a couple of lyrics. And he also then, but, you know, one of the tracks is a minute 40. Like, mm-hmm. it yeah. was designed to be a reprise, yeah. you know? But, Dine, yeah. but especially on, like, side two of Tusk is just really weak. Um, Storms is a really fun song. Yeah. Sisters of the Moon is... is it's okay. Is, yeah. Okay. But it's Stevie's weakest of five songs yeah, exactly. on the whole thing. On the whole I like her Angel. I actually really like Angel, Michael. Angel's um, wonderful. Yeah. Angel is Ned's favorite Stevie Nicks song. Oh. Well, actually, it's number two. It's oh, a, behind okay. what? I, I hype it as number one because it, I think it needs that support. But Silver Springs is a better song. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, okay, fair. Cool, That's, cool. There's, there's yeah. a slight like But, see, but Angel, Angel should have been a single. Yeah. It should have been the second well, single and, of the album. And here's but, the other thing, too, is that I really feel like this is the last time McVie as a songwriter, she had any actual bites to some of her lyrics because... I think that Brown Eyes is yes, the best song. Yes, 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 it's yes, yes, stunning. Yes. It's gorgeous. It's the best song Christine McVie has ever recorded. And it's also so well produced. Yeah. And when I was listening to a few of these songs on a mix on my way here today mm-hmm. and reminded that what Lindsey Buckingham did on this record is that he allowed them to be quiet. And Interesting. You could argue that there are too many quiet songs, but on the quiet songs, which include uh, several from, you know, You'll Never Make Me Cry and Never Forget and Honey, Honey High, High and the, the very first one. Um, fine. Over and over. Over and over. All of those are slow, romantic songs. Brown Eyes actually moves faster than any of those. But what, I, what all of those Christine McVie compositions have in common is that they're romantic like we're used to from her, but they also have a kind of sinister side because he let them be so quiet that they're kind of, and, you know, yeah, like and mysterious. And disarming she, almost. And yeah, she, wasn't, she, she didn't try to do any of her boppy, happy shit. Which I think is, was really important and why I like this album so much. Um, I think that Never Forget is a really fun like nostalgia kind of especially song. for an ender it's a great it's song it's a to great end. song yeah. to end especially Both. this record on after you have the insanity of tusk right before yeah. it yeah which i also i i i think it's it's funny that buckingham gets so much flat flack for tusk because you can clearly hear he made he made a great record you can clearly <laughs> hear mick fleetwood's Weird ass vocal ramblings on it. He's like, yeah, Mick, no, Fleetwood, yeah. Mick Fleetwood was all Man, for it. He was in the studio, yeah. like, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> and like, totally oh, yeah. savage, like, you know, that's you, you that's can tell Mick. that's all Mick. Yeah. And, and he's just fucking around. And, and Lindsay was like, yeah, that's perfect. I'm using that. that. Uh, um, yeah. I also really like, um, I know I'm not wrong. Especially, it's the best. Especially the, there they on the the CD re-release. I don't think it was on the original LP, but over the chorus, uh, they added Stevie and Christine doing these like. It's a different mix. It's very weird. I had to go back and listen to both of them when 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 this when I got a hold of the CD, which I didn't own at the time. I think I got it from the library or something. I said, this song is different. Yeah, and it is. It's mixed different, but it's a total improvement on it too. Yeah. It's a uh, nice different thing. Although it yeah. does also yeah. have uh, Honey High by Christine McVie. That is one of the biggest detriments weighing against it. You don't like it? No. I'm fine with Honey High. I'm, no. I'm, I'm fine with Honey High. I'm fine with Honey High like and I'm fine with over, over, but... over and over. And it also seems like you're fine with putting Tusk at number three. I'm not, actually. Oh! Right. There was a snake in the grass, a gold Let's hear this. Glorious City. So what's oh, number excited. three? I'm so excited. Self-titled. Okay. Now... No. Um, but I, we need to hear this. I want to hear it. I know. I'm really excited to hear it. I'm just yeah. It's you're right. It doesn't have as much filler as Tusk does. That's a shorter Tusk record. Tusk is so. twice as long. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that on on self-titled they were still and and you can see this if you watch live performances right, from right, this right. era. They're totally still getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't have a cohesion as a group. Yeah. And I think that Blue Letter is just, well, I mean... It's a cover. So it's a cover, like, yeah. but it's still 
is third on the album, yeah. and so it really helps set the tone, and I think it's, it was just a poor choice. It doesn't fit with what the rest of what they're trying to accomplish is to me. It's very yeah. country twang, and it, it feels like such a such a stri- like fast departure um, compared to oh. like especially I've if you're any problem to, with that song. Yeah, see, but then I, I, but mean? it also opens with Monday Morning, which was such an, an incredible, an incredible song. Yeah. I love Monday Morning. I also think Warm Ways is. Just again, does absolutely nothing for well, me. You know, wow. okay. I think it's also really important to keep in mind that, especially following uh, "Heroes Are Hard to Find," for a lot of people that were just kind of into Fleetwood Mac, this was—I mean, so many people—that was the thing when they heard Rihanna on the radio. That was the thing that led them to this band, and it just feels like, even though if it's not 100% fully formed, it's that it, it wasn't the first single, Ned. Other people get on another singles, you know this. But uh, more importantly, <laughs> though, I feel like a lot of people they felt like this. What was this band? There was this mystery about it. Like, were they from California or England, or maybe they were from a, they, another different you know, right. musical planet right. altogether? We, you know, we we common teenage listeners who didn't buy you know blues records by by <laughs> moody, mediocre yeah. English bands, um, maybe had heard of Fleetwood Mac, but didn't know who they were at all. And so when we took this as a debut record, yeah. It's like and Bon Jovi's All My Life, you know, It's My Life or whatever. Yeah, Just reintroducing like that. a new generation. <laughs> t- t- totally. <laughs> Just like... No, Taryn, I hear what you're saying. I disagree with no, your I'm take actually... on some of the songs. But I think the album does have a song or two that, eh, Crystal, Sugar Daddy, not a great song. Crystal, I like that they included it because it's a throwback to the Buckingham Knicks record. Not Stevie's best work. Um, but, but it's the over, only song ever that Stevie wrote and Lizzie sings, but, which to me is important. So it's but fun, for the development of the band, yeah. That's a fun factoid, but well, that doesn't make yeah, the song I, more. I actually cool. read one of those thousand albums you have to hear before you die mm-hmm. books. I you know, didn't read literally every entry, but most of them, and it was a lot of fun. You know, like the Decemberist, um, the Crane Wife was in there. You know, oh, yeah. and uh, and Rufus Wainwright's. Want two was in there. Oh, weird. So That's really weird. So yeah. yeah. No, want one. I think it was want one. Oh, yeah, but so that makes a lot more sense. But not poses, which I think is a better record. Yeah. But whatever. But there were nice arguments, you know. And there were people who were not in there at all. Artists that I think are important. There's not a Billy Joel record in the thousand records you need to hear. Yeah, what the fuck? You know, I don't, I don't get that. But, but anyway, Curtain, for guys. Fleetwood Mac, this particular critic said Curtain. that the essential record was self-titled. He said because it it changed the whole sound of the band and changed. You know, the way mu- you know the way pop music could be written and marketed and blah blah blah. But it's like, but but rumors does everything that record does better. So how is this a better, a more important? And record? see, it's also one of those but, things where, like, I would say that when we're, since we're talking a little bit about rumors now, is that rumors has like it's rumors is not a flawless album. Mm-mm. I yes, want it is. to. Okay. But but we'll get to that. Yeah, I would say <laughs> rumors is not a flawless album. Okay. But it has it, it's so many masterpieces on it. But then, you know, like, just like, there's like a stretch of like five or six songs in a row that are like some of the most definitive of the era and of this the genre. genre. Yep. But then again, I also keep coming back to it. I hate to be so horribly pop centric, but goddamn, if they, as a group, never put out a song better than Landslide. Interesting. 
You yeah. think Landslide yeah. is the best Fleetwood Mac song? Yeah. I love Landslide. Yeah. One time in high school, one time in high school, I didn't, I couldn't fall asleep, so I just sang Landslide to my parents from my bedroom. They were across the hall in their bedroom. Like I, I love, remember that. That's I love great. Landslide. What a good yeah, son you were. It was so. <laughs> guys, family, oh, family. It's so funny that you together. say that because I finished and you were like, "Thanks, Taryn. Can we go to sleep?" <laughs> Um, we're learning so much, but guys. I okay. World turning though. I before we we get Central into rumors because I have so much to say about. Oh, I rumors. know, I know, baby. Before we get into rumors, uh, world turning definitely is essential listening. It's I think mm-hmm. the only co-write between Buckingham and Christine on that record. Yes, um, for yeah. sure. But it's and and it's when they discovered that their voices work so yeah. well together because. Yeah they really do have very similar tones. And so then they used that later on Hold Me and they used that on Go Your Own Way and they used it on Don't Stop. And and I think that that was a really important moment for some of the most interesting things that they would be doing later in their career. Also Chris McVie writing about daddies again. Yeah, she does that. So, right. (laughs) But the best, but the initial single, you know, you said that thing about Rihanna a few minutes ago. The initial single was over my head and it caught people. It got people to start going to the album, and then Rhiannon made doubly sure. But over my head was real important. It made them a, a viable pop act. It was a it was a top. I think nationally it only hit top twenty, but in the yeah. Chicago market that I grew up in, it was a top ten. But at single. the same time, like you got to keep in mind, post nineteen sixty nine, especially with the Woodstock come yeah. down, not a lot of psychedelic rock bands were really doing anything at the time, and there were people kind of looking for kind of that almost like vaguely mystical, vaguely well, kind of what hit in the seventies. People went to number one with ballads all the time in the seventies right. with with songs. You know, where my head didn't go to number one, but. You know, songs by James Taylor and Joni Mitchell and John Denver and, you know, Ann Murray. These were soft rock singles where the primary thing was you got to hear the words. And yes, there was a guitar solo maybe and there was a band playing it, but you got to hear the words. And that's what mattered most to us as listeners at the time. So over my head was just like, okay, you're doing that and you're turning us on. I mean, it didn't, over my head wasn't turning us on psychedelically. It was turning us on in a sultry manner in a very subtly sexual manner that that didn't say you have to be an adult or you have to do drugs right. or you have to be in a rock band. This was a song that we really wanted to hear. Right. And Rhiannon was also a great I song mean, for the time. I, so the I, second single. I, I do also, of course, really fucking love Rhiannon. Um, and I, and in, in doing research for this cast, I, I realized that truly... Any time, especially early on, any time they fade out at the end of the song, I mean, because they're a blues jam band at heart, yeah, yeah. that meant that they were going to play it for three more minutes live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and I, I, to a certain degree, am really disappointed that the original recording of Rhiannon is not seven minutes long. Yeah. Because yeah. she does some incredible things yeah. in that outro. She reinvented it for the live album. I mean, it's well, no, before that, but it's, yeah. It's... Even in the outro, she's doing stuff that, yeah, you, wait, 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 there's more. Why are we losing right. this song? Yeah, exactly. I agree. And the radio version was even shorter. Yeah. The lyric sheet ended with the two lines, Dreams Unwind, Love's a State of Mind, mm-hmm. and you don't even hear it on the pop radio version. They, they, they fade it before that even comes right. on. Yeah. And in the live version, that's just, that's halfway through the song. Yeah. There's but, a lot more. But the thing is, we're talking yeah. about all of this, and the thing I think we're kind of dancing around the fact yeah. is that we're kind of forgetting 
what Nyx did exactly because we talk about Nyx as an unknown quantity as an unknown agent at the time yeah. for her to explode the way that she did yes. so brutally and forcefully as much as we can still talk about Over My Head as much as we can still talk about mm -hmm. the contributions to the other band Stevie Nyx was where the mystery was and for a lot of Absolutely. people at the time yeah. they're just like no doubt what? and, and Landslide was the rare yeah. song that got a lot of attention even at that time without being a single, single. right and it wasn't just when the Dixie Chicks covered it you know 12 years later. Yeah, really, the it, song really didn't take off until the Dixie Chicks covered it in the 90s. Guys. Uh, yeah, I hope really, Stevie made yeah. a lot of money off of that. But, she made but, Stevie's, you know, here's, a, I have a theory. Stevie's okay on the money front. I think she's okay. If she hasn't blown it up. And I don't know. Well, <laughs> but, wait, wait, wait. What show, the interview that you found of Stevie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just quick, quick side note. But Stevie Nicks did an interview on the Oprah Network. Okay. About how terrible cocaine is. Yes. And she sounds like the dumbest person you've ever heard. Like her California is yeah. truly coming yeah. out. Even though she's not she's not from California originally, right? Isn't she from like Arizona or some shit? Yeah, I think yeah. so. But still, it's like, oh, wow. Like I think the the best line is cuz when you're buying it, then you're buying it. And if you're buying it, then you're doing it. So we were doing it. <laughs> That's great. Which is, which is amazing. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we were just spending so much money on cocaine. A gazillion dollars. I've heard her talk, you know, even in live concerts, but also in interviews and on some of the, you know, behind the music type things. And I watch this thing with them recording in the studio and stuff. And yeah, she doesn't sound very smart. Yeah. And, also, and in that way, it's amazing that she can do lyrically what she most often does. So, okay. So, yeah. but that's, I, I do just want to make a point about the Stevie Nicks lyrics. Can you name a Stevie Nicks song for me where you know what she's talking about the entire time? The entire time, there's not one lyric where you're where you're like, "What the fuck does that mean?" Gold well, maybe Seven Wonders, which she didn't write, but no, she she mixes metaphors for sure, um, and mixes verb tenses, and she goes back and forth between person. Yeah. So at the beginning of the song, she's singing "I," and we're talking, we're thinking it's her telling us a story. And then it becomes you, and then it becomes she. And it's like, wait, wait, who are we talking? So You're what, right. what is it's this hard song to follow about? Yeah. But, but David Byrne will argue, no, no less of an expert than David Byrne of Talking Heads, who is you know, considered by many to be you know, one of the, the intellectual's most elite songwriters. That's true. Says, it's just a bunch of lyrics. It can mean whatever you want it to mean. Don't ask me what a whole song means. I can't tell you that. Which is why so, Christy McVie, little known fact, co-wrote Turn Down for What? And not a lot of people know that. And I think it's a really important uh, Stop lying to our listeners. That's <laughs> well, okay, not nice. Well, guys, we've been way off track. Let's get to the That's point right. here. Let's go back to the rankings. Number three. Okay. I No, Tusk. Tusk? Okay. Because at this point, yeah. we run into the real question. And I don't think it's much of a question. And I hate to be so... By the book, but we're, we're talking about Fleetwood Mac, how could it not be? How is any album that is not Rumors number one? Well, I don't think that was ever a question. I think we were yeah. all... It was never a question for me. All right. Yeah. So now, what is it about Rumors So Tusk is number three, and Fleetwood Mac is number two, and Rumors yeah, is number one. Yeah, before we move on to Rumors, does anything anyone have anything else to say about Fleetwood Mac? Yeah, I think it's a stronger album than you find it. Um, uh, I think the weakest track, for example, is Sugar Daddy, because I like Warm Ways, and I like Blue Ladder. But, you know, I like I said, I heard them like in 1975 and they meant something to me very different from what they might mean to someone who doesn't discover the record till, 
you know, much sure. later. Yeah. Little so, known fact, Ned O'Reilly actually had his first ever kiss uh, to World Turning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was that a carnival? It was a really weird carnival that had an AM station, but I don't know how I'm it I'm thinking about it. whether that's true, Evan. So, but um, let's talk about, let's yeah. talk about rumors. No, I'd agree, though. Sugar Daddies. It's, it's like, <laughs> it's, I, it's also, only I mean, not, it's, it's like my third least favorite. But also, Oh Daddy. I mean, uh, Oh Daddy off rumors. Oh, I don't. Yeah. Nah. Crap. Mm. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna Sorry. I'm I'm gonna address that. Yeah. I, As a daddy, he's going to tell I us understand some I understand why they included it. It is the <laughs> only song on the record about McFleetwood, which I'm sure he appreciated. Why do you think it's about McFleetwood? Because Christine McVie has said as much. I didn't know. <laughs> it's about McFleetwood because because she felt so bad that the other four band members were all fighting all the time and he was trying to serve as arbitrator. And so she was singing about how we're That's so because he was already dumped by his wife like right. three years earlier. Yeah. So he I'm, was over that. I thought it was, so... did, wasn't it Steve that later ran to Mick? Guys, we're going to have a Venn diagram on our Facebook page showing <laughs> um, who slept with who. Yeah, in 1980, uh, Mick and Stevie had a, an affair for a while. Uh, I don't know um, why. Cause, oh, cocaine. No, sorry. Wait, actually, she, she actually says as much. In the, in the Oprah interview, she says, she says, if we hadn't been really high on cocaine and the last two at a party that affair never would have happened and it only brought pain to everyone that's amazing uh but rumors um i mean let's talk about dreams let's talk about don't stop let's talk about go your own i mean let's talk about all of it let's just go through the let's talk about go through the record okay but here's my here's my hot take i'm gonna be delivering right now hot take not a fan of songbird fair enough songbird took me a long time Okay. Songbird, when I was first getting into Rumors, I mean, I'll j- I'm just going to say for our listeners, Rumors is my second favorite album of all time. Of all time. Um, of all time. Behind the posters. And, and so everything besides Songbird and Oh Daddy are what got it there. And Songbird, for me, I had to like kind of come back to as a fan, as a better f- fan of the band as a whole after... Sure. Sure. I had experienced the rest of their discography. I really understood Songbird a lot more. Also, I'm not going to lie, I really liked uh, Santana on Glee, and when she did a cover of it, it was really pretty, <laughs> yeah. and that didn't that, hurt. That could do yeah. it. But um, I would say, at this point, now that I do, I'm totally on board with Songbird, um, Rumors would be a perfect album if they had replaced Silver, or if they had replaced Oh Daddy with Silver Springs, Ooh. it would be flawless. Yes. There's, there's, there's absolutely no good reason they could have just done a twelve-song record. There's uh, no there good were, reason the Silver, no Springs Silver Springs, Springs wasn't, on, wasn't right. on the album. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know why it wasn't. I just know that it wasn't, and they put it on the B side of the first yeah. single, which was and Go listen, Your Way, and that's all you, you get it for a long time, and and it became a big bone of contention between. Stevie Nicks and and uh, Mick Fleetwood ten years after the episode you just mentioned. And listen, although we're shitting on some of the McVie songs here, let's also talk about she did uh, "You Make Loving Fun." Like, what a what a a brilliant little song. (laughs) It's a brilliant song. It's so great. I know. And and what I like about it is it defies it defies standard pop song structure because you get a verse first, and then what you think is the chorus, and then you get a guitar solo, and another chorus. You never get another verse, and 
and to me, so that's what that's how it was produced. Yeah, make, so well, maybe, it's just a beautiful maybe arrangement. Can sometimes, again, as we talked about, can sometimes and be and a little right. bit of a tricky she'll, songwriter. She'll, she, and and I think that I mean, she did. She joined Fleetwood Mac because she was in her own blues band, mm-hmm. yeah. and they played a blues show together. Yeah. And so her roots are in blues. So I think, yeah, yeah, well, as much as you say that she is a pop traditionalist, her roots are still in blues. So yeah. she's gonna. She's gonna throw she's a curveball when you got the structure, you know, with as far as structure is concerned. Or sometimes she'll like throw in a weird chord, and it's it's what makes her songs, especially in this early yeah. area, yeah, or but, this early early era, yeah. it elevates them. But also, and the other thing I want to point out, Lindsey Buckingham as a vocalist, because on the chain, once he starts doing that guttural roar that kind of comes out, yeah, of that, that's what it's like. You don't have now, you know, when he starts doing that, and it's yeah. just like. There's a tangibility to that that wasn't always apparent on the song. Uh, I believe that the best singing of his career is all is almost all on that record. You're yeah. right. He We're, sings he sings Go Your Own Way perfectly. Yeah. He yeah. sings he sings Never Going Back Again beautifully. He sings Second Act had news beautifully, you know, and his harmonies are fabulous. I I think the most overlooked song on the record, and I don't again, I don't know why it wasn't a pop single is um I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah. I mean, for any other band, that's your hit. That's your only hit off the record. And and what I argue about this this album is that there are a number of songs, you know, take uh Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run or Journey's um uh you know, the big one. The don't stop, don't stop believing. Yeah. Those songs like barely dented the top 25 as singles. They were not huge hits. But if you listen to the radio now, you think they were number ones yeah, because they, they get played so much. Yeah. Billy Joel's Piano Man is another one. And that's these, these are iconic songs. Rumors has nine or ten of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they had officially four hit singles. Yeah. But they could have released more, and in a different era they would have, like Taylor Swift. They would have just released everything, and it all would have sold. Because also at the time, a big radio format was called album-oriented rock, mm-hmm. and there were AOR. bands. There were bands that didn't put out singles but still sold and had number one albums right. because their songs were played, individual songs, as though they were singles, were played on area and self-morning. Yeah. And Fleetwood Mac managed to, ma- managed to conquer both. They had four big pop hits and they had three or four more songs, including Silver Springs, that were hits on the album-oriented album rock stations. Yeah. And yeah. then later, more of them became hits yeah. as the yeah. years went by. Yeah. That's, I, I think, just, I don't know that there is has ever been a better collection of pop songs found in the same place. And I also think that, yeah, uh, I Don't Want to Know is just brilliant. I, yeah. I, it's one of and the best And not like times. Anything, anything Stevie Nicks did, but right. otherwise. And, 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 well, and, but it's, it's, that's... Oh God, she did write it. Yeah, I she always did. thought it's I her always song. thought it was a Lindsay song. No, it's her it's song. They sing it together. But then, Although, right, but then they also, the thing oh, in but man, her lyrics on Gold Dust Woman, though, uh, you're gonna take that silver spoon and uh, dig, yeah. dig your grave. Well, like, that was about the coke like, use, I think. I know, but I love that. Like, I think yeah. there's like you could dive into that. There's just like so much more into that. But okay, guys, listen. I think it's fair to say we've called it. Let's take a look at what we've said. Guys, the top eight albums that you need to worry about for the Peak Era Fleetwood Mac. Number eight, Behind the Mask. Number seven, Time. Number six, Mirage. Number five, Tango in the Night. Number four, Say You Will. Number three, Tusk. Number two, Fleetwood Mac, self-titled. And number one, Rumors. Rumors. All right, guys, listen. 
This is a hell of a ranking, but as you can tell, we have a lot more we need to say. There's so <laughs> much more to get out there, sure. and we're saving that for the Happy Hour Minisode, which is right after this. But in the meantime, guys, Ned, thank you for being here, showing oh, up. Oh, yeah. Ask me to talk about one of my favorite bands ever, yeah. you know, for an hour with people I like. Yeah. Thank I'll you do for imparting your old man knowledge on us, on this youngins, this chickens, yeah. exactly. I'm, I'm happy to put it in a context. See, they, they, you're a link to the past, that's Thanks. what you're good for. Uh, yeah. Taryn, thank you as always. Yeah. I'm glad you got to talk about one of your favorite albums too, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is fantastic. So guys, listen to the Happy Hour Minister, there's so much more. Like us on the Facebook, because it's an amazing page and I want other people to respond to it. Yeah. Let us know your listing. And find us on iTunes, we're on Google Play, we're on SoundCloud. Oh my god, yeah, I hope you're listening to it on one of those formats, but in the meantime, we're going to go ahead and get ready for a happy hour in the meantime keep on listening because you know there will be have a good one bye, bye. bye.